Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And yeah, like I kind of said last week, this week's episode is going to be kind of a bummer uh, because we're looking at two stories this week of a couple of kids who just did not have a good childhood. And we're going to just jump in real quick. We're going to rip the Band-Aid off and see why. I don't know why. I I guess, I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm getting so soft as I, and maybe it's because I'm about to be a parent or whatever. And I knew it would happen, but like, um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> like a few years ago, I was very skeptical and critical of like this whole concept of like, like, for example, when a ship is sinking, everyone's like, Oh, save the women and children first or save the children and the elderly. And it's like, those are the two groups of people that should be at the bottom of the list, right? Women, I get, right? We need the women around. That's fine. But like the elderly, why save the elderly? They've lived a full life. Let them go, right? Kids, we don't know if kids are going to turn out okay or not, right? It's total crapshoot. What if they all suck? You know, like they haven't gotten that far into life yet. Let's let them start over. But I think I think the reason why this week's episode is so tough is because they were, they were pretty old kids and they still had a lot to deal with. And it wasn't like a quick death or a quick ending to anything about their story. It was so drawn out and prolonged. And so like even the stories about people who get kidnapped and they're in uh, captivity for dozens of years, like, yeah, that sucks. Like Joseph Fritzl, uh, way back, which is like one of the most popular episodes we've had on this show. But like Joseph Fritzl kidnapped his at by the time he kidnapped her, she was 18. And then I think held her in captivity for like another 18 or 20 years, like more than double her, you know, whatever, how long she had been alive. And that sucks. And that's real. It's a big bummer. I don't know. I've backed myself into a corner now and I don't know how to get out. So I have the power because I'm the producer of this show. I can just hit the music and we'll get into story time. Story time. That's also the beauty of this show. It's like I don't I don't really like prep a ton of notes. Like I have the story that I'm going to tell you in front of me, but everything else is pretty much ad-libbed and improvised right out of the gate. And so I've, I've had this happen a couple of times. I'll get started on a point and then I realize, Oh no, that point has no ending whatsoever. You're just going to go around in circles. And so, uh, that's what I did. So our first story today is of uh, Candace Newmaker. She was born Candace Elmore uh, in Lincolnton, North Carolina in 1989 to a pair of abusive parents. Uh, at age five, she was separated from her younger brother and sister and was ultimately adopted by Jean Newmaker of, from Durham. Uh, unfortunately, Candace's early years with her parents had already turned her into just a terrible child. And so shortly after her adoption, Newmaker took Candace to a psychiatrist where Candace was put on medication because, I mean, that's the easiest answer to all of life's problems. Like, don't don't try to fundamentally change who you are as a person. Just take drugs. And that works in some instances, but not all. 
especially like this one, uh, because the drugs actually seem to make things worse. And Candace soon developed a fascination with lighting matches and killing the family's goldfish, which two early traits of a serial killer and like spoiler alert, she does not become a serial killer. Um, but she's on that path. And we've seen this in a lot of like serial killer episodes, like as a child, they're obsessed with fire, fire. And (laughs) Ah, it always gets me, but they're obsessed with fire and killing animals for no reason, just lashing out. So when Candace was 10, her psychiatrist referred her to an unlicensed therapist named Connell Watkins in Colorado for a $7,000 two week intensive therapy sessions. And that's how you know that your kid sucks. Like if your psychiatrist, like we've put them on all the drugs, we've tried all the therapies. There's just, we're going to, we're going to go, let's get experimental now. So here's this quote unquote therapist, big air quotes on this one. And they're out in Colorado and just go. And it's a two week thing. Just let's try that. And so one of these sessions at Connell Watkins uh, office was a rebirthing session, which was actually Watkins specialty. And this is what happens. So at the start of this rebirthing session, Uh, Gene Newmaker, uh, three other adults, uh, and uh, Watkins herself wrapped Candace in a flannel blanket, which was to simulate a womb. And then Candace was instructed to extract herself from it. And the whole idea of this, according to Watkins, was that this experience would then help Candace attach herself to her adoptive mother Gene Newmaker, because that would kind of be the first person that Candace would see when she comes out of this. And it would also let her be able to let go of the abuse that she experienced from her birth parents in the first few years of his life or of her life. So during the session for the five adults in the room, like they wrapped her up in this blanket and then they used their hands, feet and pillows to hold can Candace down inside this blanket to simulate contractions And make it really difficult for her to free herself from the womb. And Candace, like, she's really struggling with this. Um, She can't get out. She's screaming for help and air. She can't breathe because she's, like, trapped inside this heavy blanket. And she said on multiple occasions that she was dying. And the adults in the room now, thinking that Candace was just being an overdramatic little brat, completely ignored her and they continued holding her down. It was just like, no, you got to get out. And like, uh, Julie Ponder, one of the adults in the room, uh, she gets crazy into this. Like she gets tired of Candace complaining and she literally, she just goes, Oh, you want to die? Okay. Then just die. Candace, go ahead and die right now. Candace. And she's just egging her on like that. And, uh, like those are direct quotes (laughs) and 40 minutes into this, Candace was still trapped inside the blanket, which by now was full of her own vomit and feces, which I guess is really like an actual childbirth. I don't know. I'll find out. And (laughs) 40 minutes into this. And they're at this point, like they're not helping this girl birth herself. They're just legit torturing her. Um, Jean, who had been instructed to sit quietly in the corner and watch so that, 
you know, once Candace had rebirthed herself, Jean would be there. Uh, Candace was like, you know, she's kind of getting real uncomfortable and she's like, baby, do you, do you want to be born? And then Candace, like, you know, it gets real quiet and all, all they just hear is no. And, <laughs> and then ponder who is totally committed to being the worst person ever in this story. She hears that and she's just like, quit her, quit her, quit her. She's a quitter. She's blah, 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 blah. And <clears throat> now things have been like really escalated. So Watkins, the, the main psychiatrist, asks Jean and two other adults in the room assisting with the rebirthing, Jack McDaniel and Britta St. Clair. Uh, they leave the room. So now it's just Connell and Julie Ponder in this room. And once everyone was out, Watkins and Ponder talked for a few minutes, probably to see how they could make this experience even worse for Kansas, who Candace, who they probably thought was the worst child ever, who didn't even want to be born. Like, what a jerk, right? Um, <laughs> what's crazy is <laughs> here's what's crazy though. Like, they just I guess they just sat the blanket back down. Like Candace could have just unwrapped herself at that point, but then she didn't. Um <laughs> mostly because uh, they're sitting there talking and they realize like Candace hasn't made any noise or movement in a really long time. So Watkins goes over, pulls back the blanket and she goes, Oh, there she is. <laughs> and like just that, just that cold sort of condescending sarcasm adults use when they've had enough of like a kid being a dickhead. And Connell was like, Oh, there she is. She's sleeping in her vomit. And that's not really what was happening. <laughs> and Jean, Jean Newmaker, who saw all of this happen, uh, she was a pediatric nurse practitioner. She's watching this happen. And she saw that Candace's fingertips and lips had turned blue, which is not what happens when you sleep. So she comes back into the room, performs CPR, calls paramedics, um, Although they were able to restore a pulse, Candace was declared brain dead the next day. Uh, ended up just, they ended up pulling the plug and ended up, you know, she ended up passing away completely. Uh, Watkins and Ponder were convicted of reckless child abuse and were sentenced to 16 years in prison. Uh, the other adults in the room, including Gene Newmaker, were charged with other forms of child abuse and given lighter sentence. Uh, this entire. 70 minute session had been videotaped. And so it's out there somewhere. Um, but like, <laughs> so like when it was like, there was no defense for that other than like, you know, oopsie, you know, it's just, but like, yeah, these, these adults in, in a rebirthing ceremony just killed this kid, this poor kid who had a rough life. So unfortunate. Our other story here is of, uh, Joseph Hall. So in 2004, Jeff Hall uh, was granted full custody of his two children, Joseph and Ch uh, Shirley, after Child Protective Services had found maggots roaming the dishes in the uh, home where the children lived in the kitchen. Uh, the home also had no gas or electricity for heat or air conditioning. Uh, and Joseph and Shirley were really only there because Jeff had been on probation for a DUI charge. So, like, how bad was their mother when you got Joseph out there drunk or Jeff out there drunk driving? He, you know, initially loses custody of the kids. And so they go live with their mom, who apparently just doesn't care about the house that they live in. Uh, although Shirley actually seemed pretty normal by all accounts, Joseph was a particularly difficult child. Uh, he was expelled from several schools 
On one occasion, he tried to uh, strangle his teacher to death with a phone cord. I don't know how you like that. And I mean, 2004. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm sure if you're around my age, I don't even know if high schools or schools even still have this, but a lot of, uh, classrooms had the phones either on the desks or hanging by the wall where it was really more for the intercom or like to the class uh, room to communicate with the main office. And so I, I can see that where the teacher's just up there using the phone and all of a sudden little, little Joseph runs up and just starts, starts <laughs> strangling the teacher with the court. Anyway, um, doctors diagnosed Joseph with ADHD and noticed uh, noted his low IQ, but really didn't do anything else to help him. Didn't really recommend him for tutoring or any other kind of therapy. They just said, yeah, he's got ADHD. All the kids have that. You're fine. Just do something about it. Um, so four years later, the recession hits, you know, around 2008, uh, Jeff Hall, who had been working in construction, you know, construction jobs come to a halt more or less. So Jeff is struggling now to find his job, find a new job. Um, and deep down Jeff knew like he knew that the recession had been caused by the Jews and other minorities. And they had been the reason that he lost his job. And so he started this, that's his opinion, not mine, because he started a local neo-Nazi club. And in 2009, October 2009, uh, Jeff Hall led his group in a rally at a day laborer site in Riverside, California, and they they showed up dressed in World War II Nazi uniforms. And the next year, he actually ran for a spot on the Western Municipal Water District as a white supremacist and actually received one third of the vote in California. Because here's the thing, guys. I don't know if you know this about California. Um, mostly just the coastal areas of California that are super liberal. Like, you get a little bit farther inland, and it's anarchy going on in there. Like, just all of those, especially in the southern southern part of the state, those desert cities, you know, your Barstows, um, you know, kind of getting into San Bernardino County and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's... It's pretty wild out there from what I can tell. I've never been, but that's the impression that I get. I've been to Phoenix, which is desert. And I don't know. I just get the feeling that like everyone who lives in the desert is a criminal on the run for something. That's just the vibe that I get from those places. And so you got Jeff Hall out here. Who's mad at the Jews for causing the recession in his opinion and start starts a neo-Nazi club. How I just I can't for the life of me understand how you can still side with Nazis 80 years later. Like and I, and look, I would understand it if it was like, yeah, it ain't really about, you know, we Hitler was a bad guy. We get it. But it's it's the it's the representation. It's the imagery of the hatred. And we we hate these people. These people suck. They ain't white. White is right. And anything that ain't white gotta go. Except, you know, I don't know. I like I don't like white cars. You know, I like cars. I like a good black car. That's cool. 
uh, you know, I like, <laughs> whatever, I don't know. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy a nice pastrami sandwich. <laughs> anyway, I don't know, man. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Just, like, why, why, and I get it. Like, you know, why let yourself get so riled up that you're going to spend your time and you're going to dedicate your life and your energy to hating people and trying to get rid of them. You know, like that's still, that's still a you problem. It's not a problem with other people. And I get like, I'm preaching to the choir at this point, you all out there, are reasonable people, but let's say, let's say you are out there. You're listening to this and you're seething right now because I'm criticizing your core identity. Please let me know what, why, just why I don't understand you. And I would like to, I would like to, I want to see what kind of mental gymnastics that you have to jump through, especially, especially the fashion. Like why, why do you care about fashion so much? You got to shave your head. You got to wear your, uh, I was going to say Birkenstocks. That's not what it was. Um, (laughs) the boots, whatever the boots are. Um, you know, very peculiar about that. You know, you got to have your little, your little symbols and your swastikas, but then you hate gay people who, you know, almost entirely run the fashion industry. I'm guessing, right? Like, you know, look, here's the thing. Jews don't run Hollywood, but I feel pretty confident that gay people run the fashion industry. And that's not a knock on gay people. I'm still talking. I'm so far departed from this story that I need to get back into it. And so (laughs) I just woke up. And so I'm at my most, uh, my most mentally engaged. And so my brain's just all over the place. Let's reset, shall we? So Jeff Hall, he's out there in Riverside, California, running for water commissioner, something, another as a neo-Nazi, he gets a third of the vote, which whatever, man. And so now on April 30th, 2011, the New York Times actually interviews Jeff and members of his neo-Nazi group inside of his home. Uh, The reporter also spoke to Joseph Hall. uh, Remember this? I mean, this is really who this episode's about, uh, who proudly showed off a belt with the swastika on it. Uh, Jeff was proud of everything going on inside the house and was bragging to the reporter that he was teaching 10 year old Joseph how to use night vision equipment, how to shoot a gun, how to really effectively eradicate the Jews and the black people from the planet. Uh, However, little did this reporter know that earlier in that day, before the reporter showed up, Jeff had actually threatened to remove all of the smoke detectors and burn the house down while everyone slept because he's unhinged and mentally unstable. Uh, That had actually been the last straw for Joseph Hall, who had grown tired of seeing his racist dad beat his mother and new stepmother. And, you know, like he was getting beaten every time Jeff lost his temper, which seemed like a lot. And so that night after the New York Times reporter leaves, everyone goes to bed. Joseph takes out a 357 revolver from the closet, goes out to the living room shoots Jeff in the head while he's asleep on the couch. Yay, justice. Love that. Um, Joseph was ended up, ended up being taken to a juvenile center while his stepmother 
faced charges of criminal storage of firearms. Uh, Joseph's grandmother later told 60 Minutes that she wasn't surprised that Joseph had killed his father, but like figured that he would at least wait until he was an adult to do it. So that t- that should tell you everything you need to know about what was going on in that house. Uh, meanwhile, Joseph, uh, he's asked about why he ended up shooting his father. And Joseph actually told police that he had watched an episode of Criminal Minds where a kid, this is a 10 year old kid, by the way, he's watching criminal minds and he saw an episode where a kid shot his abusive father and didn't actually face any real consequences for it. Well, unfortunately Joseph was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to uh, juvenile detention where he would stay until he turned 23 years old. Although he was, uh, although he appealed, the petition was denied. And so uh, he he should be getting released here in a couple of years if the math works out on that. But yeah, just uh, good for him for taking action, you know, but uh, I can't imagine what kind of person he's going to be when he gets out. All right. The stories of Candace Newmaker and Joseph Hall in the books. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, I've rambled enough. I've gone on too many stupid tangents for this episode. So let's just see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one. Um. Look, if you have a kid and the kid sucks, don't go, don't go to a quote unquote therapist and do silly things like rebirthing sessions cuz you know, that just it's silly, all right? Number 2, uh if you do end up doing that though, uh and your kid ends up uh vomiting and just pooping everywhere, maybe consider that that's not working. And don't kill them for it. Uh, And then number three, uh, kids out there, if you're listening and and your parents are neo-Nazi racist buttholes, you know, look, here's the thing. I know you want to kill them, uh, but you can't. That's murder. That's illegal. Just uh, run away. Go to the police. Find some other outlets. Uh, You know, go. Don't. Don't. Don't kill animals and don't set things on fire. Don't do that. But I don't know. Go to police. Go through the proper outlets to to get this sort of thing handled. Uh, And don't go to jail. Next week on Our Weird World, a much more silly episode back to our regular strange silliness. We are looking at four stories of some amazing adventurers throughout history. Just people who were just like, no, I'm not staying here. I'm going to go out on my own and see what the rest of the world is like. Uh, We're looking at the stories of Alexander Selkirk, Douglas Mawson, uh, the Robertson family, and Ernest Shackleton. A lot of this has to do with Antarctica, if I'm not, if I'm going to be honest, but uh, you'll see why it's, it, it ended up being so, so crazy and um, less depressing than this week's episode. So thank you all for continuing to listen Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird.
So you think you've got some county line cred because you rode a dirt road or two. You got a mossy oak hat on top of your head and a southern pride tattoo. Yeah, you might have drank a little grain alcohol or hauled a little hay. But if you think your boots got more dirt than mine, I got one thing to say. I got a car parked in my front yard with a floorboard full of Slim Jims. I piss where I want to and I fish where I swim. Yeah, I bet you ain't got it on a tailgate or killed a copperhead a time or two. And man, if you're thinking you're a better beer drinker, buddy, I've got news for you. My town's smaller than your town, and I got a bigger buck and bass on my wall. I got a little more kick in my drawl. Y'all, I got a little more spit in my chaw. And my truck's louder than your truck. And my tick hound's a little more blue. You might think that you're redneck, but I'm rednecker than you. I'm rednecker than you. Woo.